Luke chapter 12. We made it. Luke chapter 11 was a long chapter. And Luke chapter 12 is too. So, buckle up. Here we go. Luke chapter 12. Moving right along. All right. So, you know that awkward moment when you're in public and maybe at a restaurant, maybe a couple that's like a couple booths back, and they're just arguing and it's getting amped up. Right? At first, you're kind of like, ah, you know, people argue. And then it just kind of gets amped up and amped up even more. And, and you know what's going on, but you don't want to stare. Right? You know that? And, and so you're kind of like awkwardly pushing your food around and you're looking maybe at the person with you, kind of like, should we do something? Do we look? I mean, is it, I mean if it's a train wreck, you kind of want to look, but you don't want to look kind of thing. Um, so last week at the, at the dinner party that Jesus was involved in, that's the kind of dinner that took place. Kind of that, that real awkward time of, I cannot believe that just happened. I cannot believe he just, I can't believe he just said that. Jesus laid into the Pharisees in our text last week at the end of Luke 11. He laid into them because they were shocked that Jesus wasn't conforming himself under their rules and their traditions and rituals, particularly the washing of his hands. So Jesus laid out, hey guys, this is your problem. This is your problem with your legalism. This is your problem with your hypocrisy. You're, you're, you're like a, a clean cup on the outside, which, which is great. We all want a clean cup on, on the outside, but we definitely don't want a cup that's disgusting on the inside. And that's you. You look good on the inside, but you are disgusting on the inside. So, so Jesus pronounces these six woes or curses on them, and we're not going to go over them. Again, you can go back and listen to that. But, but that's what gives that awkward uh, uh, dinner that I was uh, describing to you earlier. You see, the, the legalists, Pharisees and lawyers that Jesus is exposing, we, we said last week that they're the ones that say, do this and then you'll be accepted. Do these things, follow these rules, follow these traditions, and you'll be accepted. We've heard this. And we may not have heard that directly. I mean, people are not going to really necessarily flat out and, and, and say that, but there is this idea of these, these unwritten rules that we have to abide by to fit in or to be a part. Or maybe there's this undercurrent of excessive do these things, do the right things, look the, the right way. You see, legalism feeds our hearts. It tempts us to be the ones that are in control of our own spiritual destinies. We're in control of our lives. We can set these things in place. But yet what we talked about last week is many of us have felt the overburden. The overburden of these rules and rituals and traditions that have just about crushed us. Just about crushed us. And so, so these serious matters that he, 
that he lays upon these guys, these curses, these woes upon these Pharisees and, 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 uh, and lawyers, this seriously serious matter isn't just a problem that took place in the first century. It's a 20th and 21st century problem. It's as serious as today. In fact, I would say it's a little more camouflaged and a little more passive and subtle because it's disguised in being gospel. Legalism is a gospel issue, which is why Jesus was so adamant toward these Pharisees and lawyers that they would get it right. And why he was so forthright. And just as legalism is, so is hypocrisy. Let's look at chapter 12, and we're going to read verse 1. We're not going to go very far today, but you'll see we'll have plenty to talk about as we read the text together. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, this is, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, what you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. This is the word of the Lord. And may His Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see this inspired inerrant word for His glory and for our joy. Amen. Okay, so the, the central issue again now is hypocrisy, legalism. So legalism and hypocrisy, they are two different words, and they, and they do describe two different things. But, but usually you, you can't have one without the other. They, they, they flow together. Legalists need hypocrisy. Because as they try to live up to their own rituals and their own traditions or other rituals and traditions that other people have made up for them, what they begin to realize, and what we maybe sometimes begin to realize, is that we can't live up to them. The, the bar has been set way too high. That we can't live up to them. And so then what they become, they become skilled at, at covering things up and hiding. That's hypocrisy. So it's saying and doing one thing, or saying that you do one thing and then do another. So the usual way of defining hypocrisy is when your actions don't line up with your words. Now, from the onset of talking about hypocrisy this morning, we all have to admit that we have a problem here. Christians, non-Christians alike, on some degree and on some level, in our lives, in our real actions, and then with our, our, the privately and in, in our thoughts and, and in our hearts, they never line up perfectly. They, they never line up perfectly. If you can't see what I'm at, talking about, later on, Ask your spouse, honey, 
Do I practice what I preach? Not now. Don't do that now. Do it later. And the other spouse, only if they ask. Hey, you remember what Ben said? Let me tell you what that is. You didn't ask me. Ask them. We see this played out, right? This is what we, this is what we do. This is, this is with the nature of our hearts. I, um, I sometimes use uh, an app called Instagram. And, and I like to share pictures of, you know, family and things that are happening and the different cool stuff that we see. And, and that's all it is. It's a, it's a picture-sharing platform, and, and then you can caption the, the, the picture. Now, no, no matter who uses Instagram, and you can do this on Facebook, and you can do this on Twitter and Snapchats and things like that, no, no matter who it is, unless this person is, a, in, is in complete meltdown, most people will never post a picture of themselves in a bad light. I mean, literally, not in a bad light. The lighting's bad. I'm not posting that. The angle of the camera was not right. It's not showing my, my, my better side. Or if it makes me look good, then yeah, I, I'll, I'll post it. Because we want those heart buttons pushed. We want those likes. Now, it's not that we're presenting a complete false picture of ourselves. But it's not exactly the real us with all the problems and with all the imperfections. It's not the picture of us when we get angry at the dog because the darn thing just made another mess again. Or it doesn't show the disappointment and the anger that maybe we've had passive-aggressively speaking toward our spouse or husband or wife because they didn't live up to some expectation that we had for them today. We don't post those, right? And we don't post the ones that, that show our physical imperfections as well. Ask me how I know that illustration is true. None of us are living up to the perceptions, the perception of our lives and our words together. But I'm not talking about unbelievers. And I'm not talking about, and I don't think Jesus is talking to unbelievers as well. I'm not talking about the world. Because Lord knows today we could talk forever about the hypocrisy that we see in our world today that is outrageous and that is literally incredible. The difference between hypocrisy of the world and the hypocrisy in, in this church, in us, is hopefully, by God's grace, we recognize it. And we see it, and we freely admit it, and we confess it, and we repent of it. Brothers and sisters, we, we should know that we are hypocrites. And, and yet we press on, by God's grace, then to, to line our lives up with His righteousness, fully dependent upon Him. So when the excuses come by other people, maybe by the world or unbelievers, or people who just don't like the church, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites, you can wholly say with your heart and with right integrity, yeah, you got that right. I'm one of them, and you should join us. You'll fit right in. So unbelievers are not the problem. Christians who know they are hypocrites and they are seeking repentance are not the problem. 
The problem is when someone professes to be a Christian, and yet the manner of their life shows little to no objective evidence of real gospel transformation. No evidence of regeneration. Saying, or even attempting to have an outside cup clean and look, before, look good before everyone else, yet be dirty inside, be cold and dead, living in secret sin, is hypocrisy. You see, hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing another. That's what we call living the, the, the double life. We've heard it said like this, going to church on Sunday and living like hell on Monday. That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the moral and spiritual inconsistency where people can praise God with their lips, but with their hearts they are far from Him. And what Jesus says in this passage, which we have read this morning, is He is giving us a serious warning, very much a serious warning to all of those who say, I follow you. He says, beware. Beware of the hypocrisy. And here's why. Look at verse 1. Hypocrisy spreads. Look at verse 1 again. It says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So again, here's a massive crowd that's gathered, thousands this time. Luke gives us an estimation of thousands. This crowd's grabbed, and it's so big that they begin to trample one another. That's a pretty serious situation. But here's the crazy thing that happens. What does Jesus do? He doesn't stand in the crowd and say, Whoa, calm down. Fun, just be still. What does Jesus do first? It even says it. He first addresses the disciples. To everybody who says, I follow you. I follow Jesus. Why? Why did he address them first? He addresses them to warn them, right? To, to warn them, to, to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, because he didn't want them to be given into the same temptation that the Pharisees had. The same temptations that we talked about last week in Luke 11. is not just unique to the Pharisees, but it's unique to all men, including those who say, Jesus, I follow you. Luke chapter 11 what we just talked about, yes, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. But that's not a place where we look at as the church and say, thank God I'm not a Pharisee. That's not a place where we thank God for, for not being like them. We said last week that legalism and hypocrisy is not the ancient problem. It's just as prevalent today. It's just as tempting in our own lives. Just this year alone, we could sadly talk about the number 
of moral failures of prominent pastors and church leaders who are essentially living the double life. But just because they fell doesn't mean that our own capacity for hypocrisy isn't the same. And in fact, isn't there mercy, though, as well? Isn't there mercy in the sense where someone who does fall, isn't there mercy there in being exposed before judgment? To turn, to repent. So Jesus turns to his disciples first because they are just as capable of giving into the temptation of the Pharisees, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And to think that we are no different, brothers and sisters, I think would be foolish on our part. Now, now Jesus also uses a, a different metaphor to describe what kind of hypocrisy that he was trying to warn them of. Right? He calls it leaven. And this metaphor he uses because because yeast is the, is the leavening agent that is used in the baking of bread. What we know, and maybe they didn't know, is a microorganism, right? I think, I think it's a bacteria, right? Right? Maybe biologists or anybody want to... Miss Walter, he would correct me, give me the yes or no. Um, that is the, this, the yeast that gets around in the, the loaf of bread and that what causes the loaf of bread to, or dough to, to, to rise... And it spreads throughout the whole loaf. Jesus calls their hypocrisy leaven because it spreads. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul uh, is addressing a, a serious nature of sin in the church. A serious nature of sin in, in the church. And, and the church was, a, was in complete toleration of this sin. And in verse 6, he says this. He says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Because hypocrisy spreads. Especially if hypocrisy exists in the church leadership and in its members. If the very core of a person's life and religion is hypocrisy... What does that person or pastor, member, church member, what then do they have to offer others in discipling? What is it that they have to offer? They will be discipled in the same manner of hypocrisy. Yeast expands and it infiltrates and hypocrisy and religious people has the tendency to do the same thing. You see, what happens is is when you see others publicly living out this religious performance in their version of obeying God's law, that spreads. And, and it spreads by putting pressure, undul, unduly pressure, like the Pharisee tried to do to Jesus, unduly pressure upon other Christians, upon other members or other people who are there, so that they would somehow work up in themselves to display the, the same level of performance, even if it's not backed up by any real transformation. People will learn to be hypocrites by example, oftentimes. We have 
learned to put on masks. Lord, help me. If I am teaching my children to be a hypocrite, to not own up to my sin, to not deal with it, to put on a face, that is not the real me at home. It spreads. Hypocrisy puts a weight and a burden and it raises the bar to an impossible height that encourages other people to pretend, to put on that mask and to pretend that they can jump over it too. Beware of hypocrisy because it spreads and infects others. You see, the problem with hypocrisy, and just, let's just kind of really bring it down even further, is that hypocrisy, what it really does is that it downplays sin. It, it downplays sin. And, and when you downplay sin, then sin is never dealt with. Or it's dealt with on your own means, or, or by which way you think sin should be dealt with. It doesn't deal with sin seriousness. It's treated like it's not that big of a deal. It's covered up. It's minimized. But diligently keeping the outside clean, because what hypocrisy wants, it's the same thing that legalists want, is they want people to see something of a better them than what's really there. And it even gets deeper. What, what often happens is that when, when we believe that we have actually dealt with the problem, because that's what hypocrisy does, and legalists do, they think that they've actually dealt with the problem. Because you've swept it under the rug. Hypocrisy thinks that they've dealt with the problem. And hypocrisy then becomes the solution. Make the outside look good, and the inside I just never deal with. And yet, it's only a lie. And it leads to destruction. Because we, we may get away with it for a while, and, and we may even get away with it our whole entire life. But it will fail us. Because it never deals with the root issues. It never deals with sin. Whenever Christians are tempted to pretend to be more holy than they are, whenever we are unwilling to confess sin and ask for help, whenever we establish our own man-made rules as the standard for everyone else's holiness, whenever we are comfortable with our private sins, so as long as they do not come to light, when we think we can handle sin by covering up, looking good on the outside, and so that everyone thinks that we're good, that's called self-justification. And this is why Jesus is so adamant, despite the crowd going nuts, doing dumb things, trampling one another, Jesus turns to his disciples and he warns them of the self-justification of the Pharisees. 
Because this is the kind of hypocrisy that undermines the Scriptures. Because it's not teaching us that, that, that uh, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's, it's teaching us that, that salvation is by my own ability to conform myself to some external transformation. And it corrupts the gospel. Hypocrisy says you're okay because on the outside, you're okay. And doesn't that teach us something really important here? That heart work, gospel work, is absolutely necessary. If, if you are only good at going through the motions and you've learned to do a good job of fooling others, even though even those who are closest to you, then hear this merciful and yes, loving warning of Jesus this morning. You will never be free or experience the deep joys of the gospel while living and hiding and attempting to be something that you are not. Attempting to self-justify yourself. Not only does hypocrisy spread in the church, but it also spreads in our lives and in our hearts. And it digs deep roots into our hearts. Let me ask you this. Do you always want to bitterly defend yourself when you know you're guilty? That's some deep roots. Do you see yourself in light of the gospel where it will set you free? The first thing was hypocrisy spreads. The second, from verse 2, is that hypocrisy reveals. It reveals. Look at verse 2. It says, Nothing covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Uh, this guy, um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Anybody know who that is? I know Dick Wood. He's the, uh, the famous author of the Sherlock Holmes uh, series. And, and, and this guy is smart. If you read his, read his books, he's a genius guy, right? He's very smart. And, and he had friends. He was popular. And he had these friends. And he had these, these 12 friends that he wanted to play a joke on. And, and he took these 12 friends who, who, who by the way, they were, they were well-known people in the community. People knew these 12 guys. They were known to be virtuous. They were known to be upstanding uh, people in the, in the community. And so he played a trick on them by sending each one of them at the exact same time an anonymous telegram. An anonymous telegram that, that said this. It's all, this is what it said. It said, fly at once, all is discovered. He sent that, that anonymously. Fly at once, all is discovered. Within 24 hours, all 12 friends left the country. What does that tell us? Number one, that was a terrible trick to play. <laughs> Man. But at the same time, isn't that quite revealing? Verse 2 shows us that everything, everything in time will be revealed and exposed. Either now or later or in judgment. 
Everything will come to light. Everything. You see, covering up may work for just a little bit. But eventually it's going to fail. You, you know the lie that, that's believed, right? The, the lie of the hypocrite is, is that you can cover up your sin and no one will ever know. I mean, there, there literally are things in this world we all know that we could do and, and no one will ever know. And there are things that we, could, we can cover up so deeply and we can hide so easily that we believe that no one will ever know. And yet, here's the Word of God telling us one way or another, it's going to be revealed. One way or another, it's going to be revealed. The pretend religious life is going to be revealed. The sin is going to be revealed. You know, think of the countless people who have believed that very lie. They, they believe that, that, that very lie. You can get away with it. No one's going to know. And yet, it's revealed. You see, I think, I think that this is a lie that I think Satan tells us. I think it's a lie that he tells us that you can do that and no one will tell. I won't tell. I like you doing these things. And we believe it. And yet then, I believe then it's then at the right time, Satan himself will expose it to tear us down, to, to destroy us, to deceive us. And then he stands to accuse. You see, a really good and deceptive enemy knows how to make someone safe and confident in the things that will not protect them. That's the lie of hypocrisy that no one will ever know. And man, is it, is it tempting I mean, isn't it tempting? We, we want to, in our flesh, man, we want to believe that no one's going to know. We want to know, believe that it's really not going to be revealed. We believe what we want to believe. Because we don't want to face the truth. We don't want to deal with our sin. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom you must give an account. You see, the one who knows, the one who knows the Lord really is the one and the only one that matters. And I have a feeling that a lot of times the reasons why we cover up sin is because we're afraid what other people are going to think of us. This goes back to the fault and the problem of the legalists, isn't it? The second problem is that they fear man instead of God. Covering our sin fears man and not God. He is the only one, though, who could forgive and bring light and transform. So hypocrisy spreads. Hypocrisy reveals. And number three, hypocrisy fails. Hypocrisy fails. Look at verse 3. It says, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed 
on the housetops. Again, Jesus using another metaphor, imagery, to describe to us the reality of what's going to happen with, with everything. It's all going to be revealed, whether either now or in judgment. It will all be exposed, and it will be proclaimed in a way that everyone will know. Every secret will be known, and so hypocrisy fails. It's vain. It's toiling. It's not doing anything. Hypocrisy is useless to us. Because think about it. In, in the place where we really want hypocrisy to work well for us in judgment, it's going to fail miserably. It's going to fail utterly miserably. See, in judgment, it will be like as if our lives will be put up on a screen. Every bit of it. Inside and out. And exposed. I'm, I've used this, this saying before. That it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. How many of you remember that? It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And we can add to that. Right? That's what I like to do. I like to add. It's, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there or to pretend that you're okay. You know, far too long in church, not necessarily this, this church, but maybe in some of our church experiences, We've kind of felt this pressure to be something we're not, to pretend that everything's okay. And, and even when everything in our life is just on fire, we, we know what you do when you come to church. You put your Sunday best on, and you put on your happy face, and you pretend that nothing is wrong. Let's just talk about the weather. So how did Christianity get to that point where we cover up who we really are and pretend to be something that we're not? Again, like last week, we called it the fear of man. But to get a little bit more biblical, the fear of man and not fearing God is actually called idolatry. It's called idolatry. When there's something that you desire more than you desire God, in, in, including wanting to be thought of as a person who desires God, while at the same time pursuing other desires of sin, that's called idolatry. And we've all seen this played out, maybe in our lives and maybe in others. We need a solution to this hypocrisy. We need a solution to this idolatry. Just because we now know the end result, according to verse 3, we know the end result of all of our hypocrisies is that it will fail. It will come dragged into the light, kicking and screaming. But that's not the solution. 
The solution to your hypocrisy is not just knowing that one day it's going to be exposed to lie. Because many of us have been to church our whole entire lives, and we've heard that. That it's going to come out. One day it's going to come out in judgment. Everything is going to, is going to come out. But still, a lot of times hypocrisy still can't, be, can't persist. You're going to get caught is not the solution. Or the right deterrent. And once again, it's because you haven't addressed the root of the idolatry. Because at the root of idolatry, or whatever the, the sin that is that we desire more than we desire of the, the Lord, whether it is a lust or a sexual sin, greed or anger, or whatever those desires are, those desires can be more powerful than a fear of getting caught. And this is where we must be careful. And this is where we see where Jesus is warning us. Because even we would be tempted to be a legalist. Because then we're, we're going to kind of create our own little rules and boundaries. We're going to create our own little laws to stay away from that sin, not addressing the root. Wise boundaries from sin is good and helpful and, 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 and wise at times. But still, there are desires that are still can be so strong that even then we can learn to disable and subvert those strategies and safeguards. The desires to, to sin, once again, whatever it is, whatever it is for you, may be very strong. I mean, almost impossibly strong where, where you see absolutely, utterly no other way. That, my brothers and sisters, is called a sin that you have been feeding a very long time. You've been feeding that sin for a very long time. And the only way to remove those desires is to replace those and introduce greater affections, greater desires. When, when Thanksgiving comes... Generally, in our family, all day long, there's these appetizers that are laid out. And man, they're good. You know, Thanksgiving, you bring out your best. And my temptation in that day is to scarf down those appetizers. A couple years back, I set a rule. You get breakfast, and you get the dinner. Nothing in between. Because I know there's something greater coming. And of course, I'm able to make it every single time. The dinner's great. It's replacing a lesser desire, old desires, with something greater. We need a greater desire that's more powerful, that expels the old. This greater affection and desire has to be something that will unhook the draw, the control. It'll unhook the drawl and control and the domination of the old desires. And what can do that? What alone can do that? Well, first, there's no idolatrous desire in your life right now that you will let go by just saying, stop it. But there is no idolatrous desire that Jesus and his gospel are not bigger than. If you remember a couple years ago, for some of y'all, you might remember I taught you two words 
from the reformers that are very helpful here. Mortification and vivification. Mortification is, is the, the mark of a, in a Christian or in a believer of the, of the work of the gospel. And in fact, if you, if you read with us this past week in our Pilgrim's Progress study, you'll, you'll recognize that this mark, that mortification is a, a mark of, a, of the gospel work in a believer because a believer lear, begins to learn to hate and to, as the, as the Pilgrim's Progress says, to abhor their sin, to hate their sin, not just because they were caught, but to learn to hate their sin because it's detestable and evil and wicked before God. It dishonors God. And so it leads to a right confession and it leads to repentance and and hopes to be different than from before. That's mortification. It's putting sin to death. You can see that there. Mortify. To kill sin. Because we hate it. And a lot of times we feed our sin because we don't hate it. We're not abhorring it. We don't want to mortify it because it's our friend. It's the friend we feed in the closet. We want no one to see, but we still slip them the food. And mortification first says we have to hate this sin because it's detestable before the Lord. But that's not all. We're not left at mortification. We're left at vivification. I like that word. It sounds like Vivian. Vivification. And vivification is where those old desires, we talked about those old desires of sin, begin to be replaced with a new power, a new powerful desire, a new powerful affection. When we look to Christ, here's vivification, when we look to Christ and we experience His goodness, as we read in Psalm 18 this morning, when we look to Christ and experience His goodness, His grace, and His mercy, and we vivify Him and we see Him in all of these wonderful, glorious attributes, then we are comforted. We're comforted in the assurance that we are forgiven, not based upon our merit, not based upon how we have been able to make ourselves clean or can make ourselves, because we can't, but based upon His righteousness. And because of his steadfast love, he has freely imputed it to you. And then taken your unrighteousness. You see, it's that vivification when we we gain gain a heart that desires Christ. And that desires fellowship with God. And, And that becomes the thing you want more and you crave more than anything else even greater than that desire we thought was being so strong. The thing that we've been feeding for so long, when you start to vivify Christ, that thing that seems so impossible, that thing that seemed so hard to put down and to to stand against, but when you vivify Christ in your heart and in your life, eventually those idolatrous desires they're just no longer as satisfying anymore. They're just not so as pleasing anymore. In fact, it might even taste bitter. You stop caring 
about those things. And then you stop caring about what other people think of you. You stop caring about that, that that end desire. You stop caring about what other people think about you. Your new desire is to worship God and to enjoy Jesus Christ. So who cares what anyone else thinks? I don't need to make myself to look better before anyone else. I don't need to hide my sin anymore. I can live in the light. I can live in the light. And yeah, it may not be pretty for a time. It may be awkward for a time. But living in the light will exalt Christ. It will glorify Jesus Christ and His grace and show the perfect patience of God on your life. And it is in then, in that place, where you will see real joy because you have nothing to hide anymore. You know, in a world where everyone claims, I'm authentic, I want to be real with myself and everyone else, yet hide everything. Ashamed, running in guilt and fear of what other people think of them. It's fake. But we among the redeemed cannot be afraid to admit where we have failed, where we have struggled, where we need help. Because, brothers and sisters, the reality is what's on the outside isn't half of it. Don't care about looking good anymore. Care about knowing God. So do you see why it is so important for Jesus to turn to, his, turn to his boys and say, guys, beware. Beware. Beware of these things. Beware of the, hypocr- the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Don't, when you don't deal with your sin then life is superficial and trivial. It's, it's like trying to put lipstick on a pig. You may have a... Well, it's still going to be a pig. There's nothing pretty there. No. We, we need the, the work of the Holy Spirit through the work of the Gospel and through the preaching of the Gospel to transform us. We don't need just a quick face wash or a hand washing. It's absolutely vital that we be a people who deal genuinely with our sins. That we are willing to get to the root and not just simply deal with the appearances on the outside, but we'll deal with our hearts. Not just outward reputations. I close with this. Sin is dangerous. Hiding sin is dangerous. But pretending to be something you are not It's not only exhausting, it is futile and deadly. We have to drag our sin into the light and not pretend like we have to be something we are not. Not to pretend to be perfect and good. 
to be 99% known is still to be unknown. To live in the light is to be known. Brothers and sisters, do whatever it takes to live in the light. Make everything known. What an opportunity we have now from this text to show gospel culture. Gospel culture. We have nothing to hide. We have nothing to hide. And when you have nothing to hide and you've hidden nothing, who can accuse or condemn you? When it's already in the light. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your strong word this morning to us. There's mercy in such warnings. We may not like to hear these things. We may not like to see and deal with the reality of maybe some hypocrisy in our own hearts and our own lives. But, oh Lord, I pray now that through the, through the word and through the work of your Holy Spirit, would you show us where to sweep, where to sweep and to clean the, the leaven out and the yeast out of our lives that it may not spread, and that it will not lead us to utter failure, but may we be a people that completely trust, completely trust in the work of God and be completely satisfied in knowing you. Help us, Father, to live transparent and open before one another as we need to. We would bring sin as hard as it is, kicking and screaming, dragging it into the light. Thank you for the, the goodness and glory of the gospel that we know that we can be forgiven through Christ and through his work. And so in this time of response and as we answer the questions, Lord, we, we know that your Holy Spirit will still work into our, our lives and show us these things. And so we're, we're grateful for that. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.